Whoops. What's that? Someone's walking behind you. Oh, that's Nick. No worries. All right. Let me, where am I at? Jeez, I'm just all discombobulated now. I'm sorry. I goofed it up. Nope. It's you're good. Let me uh, wait here for a second. And... Hey, Cindy, how you doing? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Good, good. It's a beautiful day out. Ready to talk about some uh, about an organization that is awesome here in the Lansing area community. And so, um, let's let's uh, let me start off with a little bit of the theme. And the theme that we're going to be talking about is obviously, you know, that or the audience knows that we're going to be talking to Hospice of Lansing, uh, two of their staff there. But um, a lot of the theme that we're going to be talking about towards kind of towards the tail end of the show is about um, is about. Uh, hang on one second. I, I heard that in the back. Let's start over. Boy, this is we're just batting a thousand. One second. All right. Okay. Sorry, guys. Stay with us. All right. Difficult conversations. You got this, Paul. Oh, I know, but in the background, I didn't expect him to walk in talking on the phone. Hey, Cindy, how are you doing? I'm good, Paul. How are you? I'm hanging in there. It's a beautiful day. And I want to welcome everybody to the latest episode, episode five of Mission Control. And today we're going to be talking with some friends of mine from the Hospice of Lansing. And we're going to be really delving into something that they face on a daily basis, and it is having difficult conversations with the folks that they work with. Um, but I want to welcome Cindy. Cindy's with uh, Ellie's Place, and she is somebody who also knows about working with um, a community that has, uh, that you, where you have to have a difficult conversation. So talk to me about how you approach it, and then we're going to delve into Hospice of Lansing in a little bit. Well, I, I think the key word, whenever you're having a difficult conversation, is empathy and not necessarily giving advice or stepping in. It's just listening and listening to understand and just letting someone know I'm sitting with you through whatever you're going through. Empathy is a key word. And I try to think about, you know, as I knew the topic was difficult conversations, you know, we could we could probably go off on all kinds of tangents about what that constitutes. I think a lot about, um, you know, diversity and inclusion and learning about people of different backgrounds from ourselves and how that's oftentimes a very awkward conversation. I think about, you know, sex and, and sex related conversations. And, and sometimes people are very embarrassed to talk about that. Um, and, and we had our friend Lizney on not too long ago and, you know, her, 
nonprofit is based on, you know, getting feminine products into the hands of those that need it. And oftentimes that's a very awkward conversation. So there are multiple conversations that we could have that are difficult and you have to really be tactful and empathetic when you are, are speaking about those things. And, and death is just another one of those things. And it's, it's painful. And I think a lot of people don't want to uh, think about their mortality or talk about it or um, acknowledge it even with other people. And I think that also, if you think about when you go to a funeral or a friend of yours dies or someone that close to you dies, trying to find the right words is, is hard. Like, what do you say? What is appropriate to say? And so then you add that into, you know, this nonprofit what realm where we're talking about it on a daily basis. Yes, death sooner or later is going to touch all of us. We should be able to have conversations about it and, and not conversations that are scary. Maybe conversations that open your mind up a little bit. You know, I think that's really, really key. And one of the things that you mentioned right at the top is being empathic, um, having that empathy uh, with the folks that you have to have these discussions with. Taking it from my standpoint and what we do here and what my company does, one of the the main things that we talk about right off the bat with our interns and with anybody who comes um, is the fact that we do work with folks that in which we cover a lot of difficult and sensitive sensitive topics. So you have to be, you have to listen to what's being said and, and make sure that, <laughs> you know, that you're not injecting yourself into a situation that can make, make it awkward for Everyone. One of another another story that I had in this regard was um, when we we worked with Elder Law of Michigan on a situation where somebody just lost his loved one um, after twenty uh, some plus years, and he had to go through all this legal stuff. And this was, and we didn't know that he agreed to do this interview two weeks after that she passed, but he had that kind of uh, strength to do it. And so um, I was like, this guy's my hero because I, I don't know how you can sit down and talk about all this with, without, you know. And I think that that's part of that discussion uh, situation in which you have to have that empathy in going in and trying to understand where folks are. And uh, I think that's really key for you, what you do and what Hospice of Lansing does. And I think enough talking about what we know. Let's bring on our guests. What do you think? Sure. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Well, stay tuned for, and let's, we're going to listen to Heather. Hey, Heather. Hey. Hi, how guys. Doing? How are you? We're good. Welcome good. to the show. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, before we even start going into the whole thing, let's let let's uh, introduce you, or okay. let, let me have you introduce yourself to okay. the audience. Who are you? Talk a little bit about where you're at, and uh, yeah, we'll just start right there. 
Okay, great. Uh, my name is Heather Vita, and I am the Director of Fund Development at Hospice of Lansing and Stonely Residence. Um, I have been with them for over eight years now, um, and, and I work more of the, the fundraising side of the house. So we are a nonprofit organization. We're the only community-based, standalone hospice in the area. Um, and it's something that I'm very proud to work for. And we have a lot of difficult questions, a lot of difficult conversations. So definitely in the vein of what you guys are talking about, for sure. Um, prior to that, I've been in fundraising. Um, my mom would have said since birth, um, because that's just my background and who I am and working with nonprofits in, in different sector, um, in social services and higher education and the religious organizations and so forth. So um, I've traveled all around the country working with different organizations um, in my former job and was happy to land here in Lansing and be able to work locally and actually see some impact of the work that I do. So, and honestly, Paul, um, I do not do it alone. We have an incredible team, an incredible team. Um, I am on their administrative side of Hospice of Lansing. Um, there's a huge clinical team that is a part of every day of what we do. And I couldn't do my job unless they did their job. And working together is really what makes a difference in our family's lives. Well, what's, I like the fact that uh, you have this long history of working in the nonprofit world. Yeah. But working in the nonprofit world is one thing and working in organizations such as what you and Cindy represent is, is something else because it's a whole different uh, mindset. How did you manage to land in a hospice? What was, uh, what was, what triggered you to not just, because everybody's heard of what a hospice does sure. and what they do, but sure. you decided to work for one. How did you come to that decision? How did you come to, how'd you get there? So um, I've actually had several personal experiences with hospice, um, but my very first one um, was actually when I was back in college and my aunt was dying of breast cancer and our hospice nurse was there working with us and my mom and her would fight all the time about the fact that my aunt wasn't eating and it was just this ongoing argument and finally it was our hospice nurse who pulled us aside and she said, you know, I want I really want you to listen to something and this is going to be hard. It might be hard to hear, but your sister is not dying because she's not eating. Your sister isn't eating because she is dying. Right. And that is dramatically different. And she's, she said to us, I want you to hear this and I really want you to process this because it's a different kind of conversation that you guys can have now. I know you want her to eat, you know, the muffin or a bagel or something like that for breakfast. But unfortunately, where we're at right now, that's not going to change our situation. But what it will do is actually stop you guys from arguing and stop you from fighting and stop you from doing those little things. She's like, just enjoy her. If she wants to eat, she will. If she doesn't, that's okay. And that was a huge turning point in um, what we what was happening and for all of our family to just sit down and really think about that um, because we we were all trying to do all these other little things, right? Because death is hard. It's really hard. And surrounding yourself with the right people to make sure that you understand what's happening. And I, you know, our credit, I credit our hospice nurse for really helping us walk through that process. Um, and a few years later, my grandparents, 
Um, both of them, we worked with them for hospice. And honestly, just recently, um, in the last few years, my mom passed away and we worked with hospice team for her. And I will tell you, she had the best six months of her life in a decade because of our hospice team. Um, she looked great. They had to call to say, are you going to be home? We need to come check on you. Um, because she wasn't in that kind of that medical back and forth, back and forth in the hospital, in rehab, trying to fix her. No, it's not going to work. Um, because at the end of the day, she was still terminal and she still had cancer. So it was one of those things that we really had to sit down and have some conversations. But I tell you what, it changed our family for those six months and gave us this piece that you, you can't, you can't trade. And that really shaped my direction and who I am and why hospice was so important to me. And I continue to do so. I'm so thankful that you shared your story. It's interesting how um, that nurse and how you (laughs) and I probably on a regular basis kind of have to flip the script, flip the script a little bit because people will say, I don't know how you can do what you do or is it bad to go to your job every day? And I think, well, no, because, you know, I'm walking with these people on their journey and mm-hmm. I'm them, you know, potentially a better quality of life or the tools that they need to get through whatever it is they're going through. So I'm sure wondering if you could share some of the verbiage that you use when people say to you, you know, oh, how do you do it on a daily basis or how is it not sad or how can we have these conversations? What are some tips that you have for people? Um, you know what, Cindy, it's one of those things that I actually, I will agree with people that it can be incredibly sad. Absolutely. You know, you, something is happening that you don't want to have happen, but the reality is, is it's going to happen to all of us. So really embracing that time to talk, to have forgiveness, to have those moments. Um, I'm honestly honored a lot of times to be there with family members and to talk with them. Um, and to be on that journey and explain to them or as much as you can, because, you know, everybody has a different journey to go on, that it's not about getting over someone or moving on to the next chapter. It's really about going through it, you know, going through grief and understanding that it's more like the ocean. They're like waves. Some days are going to be absolutely amazing and it's a beautiful day and the tides pulled out. And then other days you are doggy paddling for air because that wave has come on top of you. Um, and that's, you know, what you do, you just help people and just tell them they're not alone. They're not alone and we're here to do it. And it's an honor to be able to help people out that way. That's amazing. You're right. Grief is not linear. No. No. And everybody experiences grief in different ways. Yeah. So it's amazing. Like Mm -hmm. I've taken several tours and for those of you that have never visited the, the Stonely residence of hospice, I strongly encourage you to take a tour because I, I left there feeling empowered and I just, my heart was, was just full because it sure. was a positive, loving place. And I actually, I'm so glad you said that, Cindy, because um, the one thing that I would like to share is that um, hospice, um, we do have our hospice house. We have Stony residents, so we do have a place, but actually really when you look at hospice overall, it really is a service. It's almost like a specialty because we can actually offer hospice at home too. And actually most of our patients are at home. They wanna stay home. Um, And sometimes home is wherever that is. Maybe it's at their daughter's house, maybe it's their own home, maybe it's an assisted living, Um, but we go to where they're at. Um, But we are lucky to have a place like Stonely Residence too. Most people actually don't even know that place exists until they need to. Um, And then it becomes their lifeblood. I mean, it's um, in a little hidden gem in South Lansing that 
um, was just down that down that hill. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, I know that you mentioned at the beginning of the segment that you're the only independent nonprofit mm -hmm. hospice. Mm -hmm. Is having this having Stonely part of that process, or how, how how do you differentiate yourself from the other hospices? Well, we actually have um, the the nonprofit status in our area right now, like in our tri county area, if you will. There are fourteen different hospice organizations. Three of us are actually nonprofit, but the other two nonprofits are actually affiliated with the hospitals. So it's Sparrow and McLaren's hospice organizations. So Hospice of Lansing Stonely Residence is really one organization, even though Stonely is a building, hospice really is the parent company, if you will, Hospice of Lansing is. So we work, we are the same team. We are work together in tandem. Um, so our nurses um, cross over at times, our aides, our medical director, um, and our nurse practitioners, um, they are actually cross over to Stonely residents and our in-home patients and actually make home, home visits. Our uh, medical director, Dr. LaBerge, is absolutely amazing. He's got the black bag and everything and comes to the house <laughs> and sits down with the family. Um, and, and that makes us unique in a very different way because actually not all of the hospices work that way. We, you know, we're truly patient focused. Our nurses and our aides don't go off of a schedule per se that dictates when they have to be there. It is based on what the needs of the patient are. Um, and the other organizations that exist in the area, it's not that they're not good. They just run things a little bit differently. They have shareholders. They have different people that they need to answer to. We answer to our patients. We answer to our families. Um, so we do have the luxury to really dictate how that works and what is best um, for them. And at times it's it can be really tough because, um, you know, we do get reimbursement from Medicaid, Medicare, and insurance. However, as as with everything insurance, it never truly covers the cost of care, right? Right. So, you know, even just the mileage alone, which is, I think, our third highest number in our budget. I mean, we're putting out $200,000 a year alone to pay for mileage reimbursement for our nurses and for our team wow. because of the sheer windshield time that they cover. Um, and that's, that's a pretty chunk. That's a pretty big chunk, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so no matter what the person, what the patient we have, um, you know, is going through, whatever their diagnosis is, whatever their needs are, you have a set rate of reimbursement. So someone's medications or someone's um, items may cost in you know, thousands of dollars where someone else may only cost a couple hundred dollars. So you've learned to kind of balance it out. But that's where my role comes in too as the director of development um, to help raise some funds for a lot of the other services that we have that we offer that some of the other private hospices can't or just don't. Awesome. Well, you know what? Now that we've talked a little bit about the who, I think mm -hmm. we're going to get into this next session with one of with your guest, Kathy, who's also yes. a colleague and uh, staff member with you, uh, talking a little bit more about the why you do what you do. So yeah, stay absolutely. tuned after this. And here we are. We're back. And we bring in Kathy from Hospice of Lansing. And before we start with this segment, Kathy, why don't you introduce yourself and what you do at um, Hospice on a day-to-day? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Kathy Morozinski, and I am Community Relations for Hospice of Lansing and Stonely Residence. Um, my job as Community Relations um, includes a lot of marketing 
um, I actually um, usually go out and do visits to the different senior communities, um, to health fairs and any educational opportunities we have um, to work with the community. Um, but with the state of things right now, <laughs> I am not traveling to those senior communities. So we're doing a lot of Zoom visits, um, a lot of phone calls and emails um, to just continually um, build relationships and gain referrals um, for Hospice of Lansing and Zoom residents. Um, really, truly so that we can provide those people with the best end of life care. Um, and so that as well as some of the marketing pieces with advertising and um, the clinical team and kind of being between senior communities and our clinical team um, is mostly what I do. Awesome. Heather mentioned a little bit about your amazing staff and I've met a few of them. And so I'm wondering when you go out, if you could like just share some of the things that you share about, um, you know, your staff members and how wonderful they are and even some of the unique therapies that you use that people may not see in other hospices. Yes, for sure. Um, so with Hospice of Lansing, um, we have been doing end of life for over 40 years. Um, it's now over 41. And um, we truly are experts in our field. The only thing we do is hospice care. We don't have multiple different home care and private duty and all of these um, different pieces like other agencies do. Um, we really specialize in hospice. And so when I go out and I talk to people, I let them know that our team is very much uh, into customizing our care to that person that needs hospice. It really is all about them. It's about what is going on in their life, in their journey, and what is gonna bring them the best quality of life. And so it's really very much about the families and the patients that we're working with. Um, we talk a lot about our team. <laughs> we have some um, amazing, as Heather mentioned, some amazing team members from nurses to aides, to social work, to our chaplain, um, to our on-call nurses and volunteers. Um, we are unique in a way that we have two amazing medical directors. We have Dr. LaBerge, as Heather mentioned, but we also have Dr. Sheila Jendek. And mm -hmm. they do go out and make visits. They're very much involved in the care of everyone on our um, service. And they, really truly believe in that quality of life and doing whatever's needed, whether it's a homeopathic treatment or it may be medications. Um, we truly go at it from all angles because not every person is the same and not every person wants the same thing. So mm -hmm. for us, um, we find it really important to treat the entire person, not just their diagnosis. So we do offer music therapy and massage therapy and there's uniquely trained for exactly this, for those people that are going through end of life. Um, it's amazing what those therapies can do for people. Um, we had an instance with music therapy um, with someone with Alzheimer's and they really did not communicate. Um, they didn't, they really didn't do much. Um, but Jenny went in and kind of found out some of their favorite genres, started playing and you got the foot tapping and the head bopping and eventually started singing along. And that just gives me chills. Um, music touches a different part of the brain than even speaking or touch. And so um, it's very important to provide that therapy um, and all hospices do. And the same with massage therapy. 
our massage therapist is specially trained um, with end of life diseases. So she knows exactly how she can work in touch with someone um, so that it doesn't bring pain, that it can bring relief. And mm -hmm. a lot of times using music and massage therapy, you can reduce the use of medications um, with the aromatherapy used along with it. And so we just really truly feel that it's all about quality of life. So if music and massage are going to help that and you know bring that person out, then they got it. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, now the theme of the show, um, first of all, I want to like comment on the numerous myriad of services that you guys provide. I think it's incredible and it's just needed and necessary. Um, but between what you guys do, your, your specific positions at hospice, you interface with the public all the time. And the theme of this, this program especially is having those difficult discussions. And out of anybody on your staff, well, I don't want to say anybody, but I mean, <laughs> being the public face for what you guys do, how do you approach this? What is your tactic? I mean, because it's the conversations that you have to have are probably like not what most people want to talk about at that point in time, especially when, you know, Heather, your, your, your role is, uh, you know, the fundraising aspect, Kathy, your role is like the marketing aspect. And it's like, all right, how do we develop materials that people can embrace and um, have, you know, have these conversations around or even getting testimonials because it's a huge aspect of trying to uh, promote and market what you guys are, are doing and needing. How do you um, generate? I don't know if I asked like 15,000 questions just in this one bit, but hey, um, we're just going to go <laughs> go with that. I don't care who goes first, but it's like, how do you, how are you guys prepping yourselves to be able to do this, um, uh, you know, out in the public? Well, Paul, sometimes um, you just well, have to I can be start. slow and um, ask a question. I really, really <laughs> feel like end of life. Did we lose her? I, I think know. her internet's breaking up. I think I may be unstable. Okay. <laughs> yes, her internet is definitely unstable. Definitely now. I yeah. Her, she looks so pretty. I know. Like <laughs> you look great. We just can't hear you anymore. Smiling, <laughs> and she wasn't frozen in a weird face, so that's a good thing too. Yes. Just can you hear us, Kathy? Heather, do you want to answer? Yeah, I'll go. I'll go ahead and and answer. And honestly, um, the big thing is Paul is patience, and um, with uh, there she is, um, <laughs> and sometimes. Um, it doesn't matter what you ask someone, it may not be the right question. And other times you may ask the perfect question and then you just share everything. Um, Kathy and I have been at community uh, engagements together where people have physically backed away from us. I was just going to mention like, that before like, I flipped out. Yeah. Yeah. They were <laughs> like, they're around, they, yes. their older friend and backed up. Uh, they like, literally did. And we just went. 
I think we need to talk. Um, I think we need to have a conversation. Um, Heather even said, we're not here for you. (laughs) No, 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 we're not here like that. We're not here for you. It's not like that at all. Like I was trying to, she was so exasperated. So yeah, that's exactly what I said. And also, again, it may not have been the right thing to say, but that was my reaction of like, no, 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 it's okay. (laughs) Yeah, we were just introducing ourselves and and they really were like, oh my goodness. And that just means that there needs to be a conversation, Um, just a very simple, lighthearted conversation because hospice has changed so much over the years and it's not the same. And a lot of the generations we're working with are starting to see that, um, that it's not the same. But sometimes um, we do get those people that are like, absolutely not. If I go on hospice, I'm going to die tomorrow. And and that really is not the case. We know that. But they don't know that um, because that's how hospice was. And that's, you know, people waited until the very last night. Um, And and now it's just getting it out there that you don't have to wait until the last minute. You can actually have a better quality of life like Heather's mom did on hospice for as long as you qualify. There is no time limit as long as you meet, of course, the requirements you know, from Medicare. Um, so yeah, that's the, I was going to mention that story with Heather. Yeah, um, I was saying, <laughs> yeah. I add one and, thing on the flip side, I was grocery shopping and this is pre pandemic, but I was grocery shopping and um, I had just come from work and I saw my name tag or it's my jacket or something on it had identified who I was. And the cashier looked at me and stops and she's like, can I please just give you a hug? I just, I just need to give you a hug. And I'm thinking to myself, okay. I'm like, are we on camera? You know, are we on a camera? Like, what are you doing? And she's like, what you did for my family. Well, maybe not you personally, but what you do for families and everything just was, she's like, you just, you have no idea. and just need to say thank you. So you have that flip side of, you know, this complete stranger who I've never seen again, probably never will. Um, but like in the middle of the grocery store and she was checking out my groceries, wanted to give me a hug and say, thank you. So, you know, you, you do cover the gamut and, you know, to go back to maybe one or two of your questions, Paul, um, you know, <laughs> trying to talk to people, you know, about giving testimonials really is in their own time. I mean, I've had several people where I've asked them, like, do you think, you know, you're ready to do this? And they will look at me and straight up say, nope. And, uh, you know, a couple of people looked at me and said, never. I, I just, I can't compo- keep myself composed. And then there's other people who are like, sign me up. Like, what can I do for you guys? I want to, I want to shout from the rooftops what you did for my family. So you just, you have to ask and you just have to talk to them and then realize that everybody, you know, as Cindy and I already commented earlier about, you know, grief is a different journey for everyone and everybody's going to be at a different place. So we've had people that, you know, we've taken care of 10 years ago that have like come forward and said, Hey, I want to do my testimonial now. And we've had people who's, you know, loved one passed away a couple months prior to and are ready to stand up in front of a group of people and talk. So, yeah. And I think our team, oh, go ahead. I was just (laughs) going to ask if you have tips for the average person to have these conversations at home with their own families, because I think it's so important for us to share what our wishes are and have these open conversations with family members. So I'm hoping that you can give us a few tips or talking points or ways that we can encourage those conversations to happen. For sure. We talk a lot, like when I go out to senior communities, um, especially independent livings, um, where people are, you know, in their 60s um, and a little older, 
I tend to um, bring up that talking with your family um, is is never easy. <laughs> Hardly as ever easy, but it's necessary. Do they know your wishes? Do they know, you know, do you want to remain at home? Do you want to move someplace? Um, do you want to move in with them? Like, do they know? Because if there is a crisis tomorrow and you're not able to tell them, you know, then they have to just guess and try to accept. And not only is that stressful for you, it's stressful for them. You know, funeral pre-planning, you know, I'm always an advocate of that as well. Um, when my aunt passed away at 64, she said she was going to do it when she turned 65. And then when hospice came, um, and she was buddier than that, um, she did pre-plan her funeral about a month before she passed. And we were all so devastated and, and grieving that it was so helpful that that was planned and sure. that we knew her wishes, um, for her service and, and burial and things like that. Um. But for me, when I go out and talk to people, it's really just educating that it's a hard conversation. It, you can't have the like the physical conversation because it's too difficult, then write it down. Um, there's a really great free book called Five Wishes that's super simple and it walks through, thank you, Heather. It walks <laughs> through not only your medical decisions, but as I say, it gets more emotional towards the end and talks about what do you want for example do you want to have chapstick put on your lips if you're not able to you know request it and heather will say yes but don't make it carmax because i hate carmax <laughs> chapstick yes so i know, filled this I, out with my husband yeah and we answered the questions and i was like you better not put carmax on me so i mean <laughs> And I wrote and notes all over in the margin, but yep. I mean, there are questions all the way down to, you know, what do you want at your funeral? Do you yep. want to be cremated or buried? Like those kind of things, like stuff that you don't do you think want about. life-saving measures? You know, right. there's the clinical aspect of it too. And it is a legal document in Michigan. And if your mm -hmm. wishes change, you cross them out or rip it off and do a new one. But it is a legal document in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And so we do have a lot and go through them. Because if you can't have that conversation, then you can write it down and give them a copy, give your doctor a copy, things like that. It even um, depicts your health advocate, which is super important if you don't have a power of attorney in place. Um, this doesn't replace the power of attorney, but or it will. Help. Or yes, will. Or we need will. to make sure people yeah. know that this is not in lieu of a will by any means. This is strictly yeah. just talking about your wishes or what you want. Yeah. And it's really just being honest. I mean, yeah. we really pride ourselves and our, our team does on being honest um, and really just letting people know what's going on right now. Where are they at? But of course, do that in an empathetic nature. Um, we don't just blurt it out, you know, but you read the room, you figure out, you know, when, they're, when the daughter's a nurse, you know, there's always a daughter that's a nurse. You can talk to her <laughs> differently than you can talk to the other daughter who's a different occupation, you know, most of the time. So it's really just, you know, being a chameleon and where you're at in, in changing the way that you talk, you know, based on who you're with, um, because you want to get through it and really reach, you know, every individual person that's involved, um, you know, because it isn't just about the patient, it's about the entire family because the family's supporting that patient. Um, that's kind of how we work in talking with people and, 
in breaking that, you know, mold of hospices, you know, scary. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we got to wrap up the show, but yeah. the five wishes aspect, where, where can folks get that? Yep. Where so that if you head up to our website um, and you'll find it under resources, um, we'll have a link to that. It'll actually link out to the website where you can get it. Or if you um, go through our contact page and you can request five wishes, the, we can mail it right to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have the books in the office and we can mail them right to you. So either way. Mm-hmm. That's great. And also don't forget to check out Auspice of Lansing on Facebook as well. And Heather, Kathy, this was a wonderful conversation. We really enjoyed what you guys had to say and your perspectives on it. Thank you for joining us on this program. Really appreciate it. And Absolutely. thank you. Yeah, awesome. thank you. And that brings us to a close of another edition of Mission Control. Anything else you'd like to add, Cindy? No, I just, I love these this team of people. I mean, <laughs> they're some of my favorite humans, and I, I have a lot of respect and admiration for all that they do. They're great. And so, again, I encourage you to, you know, reach out to them, support them in any way you can, and take a tour if you're available to take a tour. They're amazing. I completely agree. I completely agree with that. Uh, the Stoneley residence is awesome. Take a tour, contact hospice, learn a little bit more, and don't be afraid to have these difficult conversations for it's the best for yourself and your family. And uh, on behalf of Cindy Kangas, I'm Paul Schmidt, the host of Mission Control. Thank you for watching. See you next time.